Hello, welcome to Performance Anxiety, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. This show's a reunion of sorts. I'm joined by Pete Hoffman and Shannon McCardle of the Mendoza Line. The band is reissuing their album, We're All In This Alone. Pete and Shannon hadn't spoken for 12 years until the day before we recorded. They talk about missed opportunities, some regrets, stratomatic baseball, and saying tit as many times as possible. The reissue of We're All In This Alone includes three bonus tracks that were found on a cassette in a box in Pete's basement. There's also some rare posters for purchase and some other stuff, so check out Mendoza Line Band on Instagram for details. Pick up the album on Bandcamp or any of the streaming services. Follow us at Performance ANX on social media. Subscribe, rate, and review. And check out all the other great shows on Pantheon Podcasts of which we are a proud member. Let's get together with Pete and Shannon of the Mendoza Line. Hello. (laughs) This is Shannon McArdle. And this is Pete Hoffman from the Mendoza Line. And you're listening to (laughs) Performance Anxiety with... With Mark Shay. Through that. (laughs) That actually was... Good, more than good enough. It was actually perfect. Good. Thanks, Mark. Now, we, Pete and I have not even spoken until yesterday, probably in 12 years. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> Holy shit. Damn, I'm glad I'm recording this section. <laughs> awesome. awesome. But it, it was great talking to you, Shan. I know it's as if no time has passed. I don't. We are. We also live like two miles from each other, so it's not. It's not acceptable. But we're gonna. As soon as we both feel comfortable actually meeting in person, we'll rectify the situation. Oh man! So maybe like after we finish recording. Well, after. Well, <laughs> let's I see how it goes. Thinking, giving, giving coronavirus a little more time. Oh yeah, I almost forgot about that. Oh yeah. <laughs> life is life gets in the way for 12 uh, years somehow exactly exactly i don't know what i've done with the past 12 years though but <laughs> well okay. i've done nothing good so <laughs> i will open up this whole conversation by saying i have probably more notes on this show than i've ever done on any other episode and i feel less prepared than I have for any show I've done. Well, that's <laughs> flattering. But you're... Oh my gosh! The truth, the truth will surprise you. <laughs> <laughs> well, good because I've got some. I've, I've read and heard some weird, weird stories. So all true. <clears throat> all right, all right. Well, what, would, what I like to do first is to find out a little bit about everybody's background, find out how you got into music in the first place. Um, and since the band kind of, well, and I, I should say definitely not kind of, but it started with you, Pete. Let's, yeah. I want to find out a little bit about how you started in music. What, what was, uh, did you have a musical family or was yeah, it? Like, uh, not at all. I mean, like basically Tim, who is the other founding member of the Mendoza and I went to high school together. 
Um, and Paul Depler, who was the bass player for 99% of the band's life, was also went to high school with us. And we were kind of like, um, I don't know. There was a lot of really musical people in our school, but they were most of them like just wanted to play like in cover bands uh-huh. and Tim and they all kind of like were really good musicians. And Tim and I were kind of the guys on the periphery who wanted to like write songs. And so even though we didn't know how to play at all, like we were kind of like starting to mess around with writing songs when we were like 16, 17, 18. And I mean, I've never had a, a formal guitar lesson of any kind whatsoever. And, and I don't think Tim has either. Oh, wow. And, uh, and like we basically just figured it out. I mean, we just listened to a lot of the replacements and the Young Fresh Fellows and all that kind of stuff when we were in high school and Uncle Tupelo and that kind of stuff. And we just like figured those songs out. And, you know, I mean, my mom had like an old, um, you know, classical guitar that I remember it was the first time I, I ever played music at all was with Tim and he like beat the guitar that my mom had gotten in like 1952 <laughs> to like shreds. I mean, and he, he later did that to another guitar of mine. Oh my I, God. But I just remember like playing like run, run, run by like the velvet underground and just, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, but we had always kind of like envisioned we were going to be in a band when we were in high school, even, yeah. you know, and we were kind of like all of our friends who were really good musicians. None of them played music. And we were like the guys who like had no fucking idea what we were doing, but we could write, <laughs> could like write a song. Yeah. And so like I went to college in Ohio, Tim went to college in Georgia. And like when, once I was out of college, I had like moved, I had $5,000 that I had gotten from a inheritance from the death of my grandmother. And I like went to Athens and drank that away while playing like really crappy songs, you know, um, with Tim and, uh, you know, a bunch of other folks from Athens. But like, I mean, there's no like musical background. I mean, it was pr- basically like I heard the replacements and I was like, I want to be in a band. And it's like, you know, every other band that was like an indie rock band right. from, I don't know, you know, 1982 until you know 2000 or something the replacements spawned a whole lot of bands that said hey i can do that yeah yeah for sure i mean i I mean the first time i ever heard them i heard the replacements i was playing basketball with tim in his front in the front yard of his house and i was like you know at the time i was like oh i love i like iron maiden and uh you know i still love iron maiden but like i didn't i didn't know what an indie rock band was you know and it it stopped, stopped me in my tracks and it changed how my perception of music completely may i interject for a yeah moment? yeah absolutely really i just want to i mean for the record i uh kissed tommy stinson on the list the lips the lips the lips <laughs> um he was in a band called perfect which you oh uh, yeah in the late 90s and he was at, i think at the atomic in in athens and oh, i was the only woman in the audience and he was really <laughs> drunk <laughs> And he went for me. It was very uh, exciting. Wow. Very romantic. It was very romantic. <laughs> but so, Pete, you're, you're from Virginia, though, originally, right? Yeah, McLean, Virginia. We, like, we were, we grew up really close to D.C., all of our, I mean, I went to, we went to Langley High School, so it was, you know, the first time I ever saw Goldfinger, the movie Goldfinger, was at Strom Thurmond Jr.'s <laughs> birthday party, fourth grade. Wow! It's just, yeah, so... I mean, it was a very political kind of upbringing. And Tim's father was a, you know, a lobbyist and, uh, you know, he ran Mo Udall's uh, presidential campaign. And, uh, and I I mean, I remember one time like picking up the phone. I used to like be at Tim's house 24 seven. I like, 
would pick up the phone and like I picked up the phone once and it was like Mac McClarty who was like the chief of staff of Bill Clinton. I was like, I'm like, hello, it's Terry there. So like, I mean, it was very wow. political kind of upbringing. upbringing. And, well, I mentioned it because I'm actually recording this in Winchester. So, oh, that's where my brother lives. Oh, really? Excellent. Yeah. So we're hanging yeah. in there. Yeah. I love Winchester. Oh, yeah. Winchester's oh. great. Yeah, it's a it's a sleepy little town, and I love, although it's it's starting to explode with all the uh, the the FBI coming in and Amazon coming in, and it's just it's it's growing and growing. It sounds oh, yeah. ideal. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, so Shannon, tell me a little bit about your background. How did you get into music? Oh, I'm just a simple farm girl. Um, <laughs> I I I. I don't know. I've always loved music. I grew up, um, I was born in New York. Um, we moved to Albany, Georgia, Southwest Georgia, Albany, Georgia, when I was uh, four. I know exactly what that is. I spent about a decade in Southeast Alabama. Oh, what, uh, where? Uh, just a little bit west of Dothan. Waterworld. Uh, yeah. And that's where John Troutman's from. Or <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, we spent many a summer in uh, Dothan at Waterworld. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, I just grew up, you know, listening to music, singing along with uh, Crystal Gale and Anne Murray and uh, and just, uh, I guess, found myself as a, a teenager um, really uh, spending a lot of time listening to Dylan and Costello and, yeah, uh, yeah just a music fan. So how did you, all right? So uh, so Peter, you you started actually recording as the Mendoza Line before Shannon uh, joined the band. First, the first thing I want to ask is how did you guys decide on the the name Mendoza Line? No, I mean, well, we we were recording under the uh, moniker the Incompetones, which was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was I, I love baseball. I'm obsessed with baseball. I mean, it's my the thing I love the most in the world. Um, and I was like, I'm going to write some songs about baseball, you know? And then one of them was called the Mendoza line. And Tim's like, that's a really good name for a band. We're like, okay. I mean, that was it, you know, (laughs) because yeah, I mean, but I mean, yes, but like the whole story of Mario Mendoza is well documented, but you know, he was basically terrible at baseball. So they, you know, a bunch of guys were making fun of him and said, you know, hitting over 200 was, you know, under 200 was like the Mendoza line. Right, so, right. I don't know. It's a baseball thing, a nerdy baseball thing. Well, little known fact, he actually improved once he left the major leagues and went back down to Mexico. He's in the uh, Mexican Baseball Hall of Fame. I didn't even know that. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, he actually, he ended up hitting uh, in the Mexican League. I think his uh, his career average was 291. Holy cow, that's pretty good. So, well, congratulations, <laughs> Mario. Congrats, Mario Mendoza. I'm going to have to tag him yeah. in this post. Oh, yeah, please do. I want to have a conversation with him. Uh, we'll see if we can make that happen. That would be amazing. <laughs> you can make that happen. I'm forever indebted to you. <laughs> All right, that, now I have a quest. Now there's definitely a quest. All right, so you had, you you were in the Athens music scene in the uh, the early to, to mid '90s. Is that when everything kind of started with Mendoza Line? More like yeah. mid, no, okay. early early mid. Okay. Right? Yeah, I think we started in I think we started it you know in '95 '96 okay. and then but yeah. 
yeah. But we were down down there during that whole fun time to be in Athens and playing music. Of course, we were not popular at all. <laughs> but, I mean, like, I mean, like the Elephant Six people didn't know who we were. I mean, I I know that like I've met a lot of those folks seen at all. We were like too drunk, <laughs> you know, and they. And they were like serious musicians who like had a point of view and we were like, let's write this song that will like vaguely insult somebody I know. (laughs) (laughs) That's what, that's the kind of stuff that I would, that would have just drawn me right to you guys. This song is insulting. I love it. That was before my time. (laughs) So how did you end up? Being becoming part of the band, then, Shannon. Yeah, I did much to Pete's because <laughs> <laughs> all right, That's so because Pete and Tim, you guys, you two were actually the primary songwriters in the band. Yeah, and then Shannon, you kind of came in, got were given a guitar and just started writing songs almost immediately. Is is the story that I heard? Is that is that accurate? It's true. Yeah, um, the second song I ever wrote, A Bigger City, it was on uh, We're All in This Alone. one before that that did not make the cut that I was actually reminiscing about. It uh, was recorded, Pete, at uh, Greg Harmelink's. Oh, yeah. I don't think you were there for the session, but it was a horrible song, which never <laughs> made its way onto anything. But then I think uh, A Bigger City was the second song I ever wrote, and then all the other stuff got, yeah, was on the records. Yes, so I just sort of fell into it. So how, how did that work i mean three three songwriters in a band is that's actually quite a big amount for a band i mean it i don't turn a phrase but well here's basically the 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 truth of the matter is that i it took me forever to write songs like i mean on a couple of those other earlier albums like tim would have like eight songs and i'd have two or three or four or whatever and uh you know i i just write songs really slow tim just like writes a song and whatever comes you know he writes them really fast and by the time like by the time we got to we're all, we're all in this alone i only had three or four songs oh, okay. you know done and shannon i mean we, tim and i never talked about it we never actually had a conversation about it once he's like shannon wrote all these songs they should be on the record and i was kind of like I, i'm not so sure that's great but then i kind of <laughs> think to myself like Back, back, you know, thinking back, it's like, well, that means I don't have to write any more fucking songs, <laughs> you know, and, you know, but, I, you know, I definitely was not, and as Shannon, you know, intimated, like, I wasn't, like, happy about it at first, but I listened to it back to it now, and I'm just like, I don't know, I really think, like, her, well, a couple of her songs are my, like, you singled me out in a bigger city are, like, two of my favorite on the whole record, oh, yeah. uh, where all sound, and so... And through the rest of the you know time when I was in the band, and also when I wasn't in the band, I mean Shannon's songs are awesome, and I love them, and I love them more now with like more with like perspective, you know, because there's a lot. I mean, as you 
know, there's a lot of crazy shit that went on with this band over the years. There's a lot of hurt feelings. There was a lot of arguments. There was a lot of terrible shows. There's a lot of opportunities that were missed. And there's a lot of hard feelings. And kind of like after all these years, and you can gain some perspective and have some healing about like, you can actually like look at what was created and feel good about it. Like I didn't, I, up until like two years ago, I didn't listen to a Mendoza line song for like eight years. Like I just didn't yeah. listen to it. Cause I, wow. like, you know, this was, you know, a big, long, sad mistake in my life. And now I like go back and listen to it. I'm just like, Holy Jesus. Like this stuff is really good. Like I'm, I mean, uh, you know, all the songs, all the songwriters were real. I mean, first of all, I think everybody in the band is smart and literate, you know, and I think everybody was talking about trying to was thinking about how to like turn a phrase and to like, you know, actually like communicate a real emotion and not just like, and now I'm just saying like, I, I feel really proud of the band now. And I don't think I, if you had asked me that same question two years ago, I'd have been like dismissive just because I'm kind of a baby. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think you are a baby. I think I, would have had a hard time like two months ago <laughs> feeling a lot wow. of trepidation about this uh this release and it actually has been through like being in touch especially with uh pete about it though i'm just like i yeah i've revisited the stuff and i i feel uh i do i feel proud and i also feel far away far enough away from it to uh I don't know, to not feel the, the shame and the sadness <laughs> and the hurts and all that that went along with that sort of decade for me. So it, it's taken a long time. Wow. Yeah. But, but I think that just just talking purely about the songs and just like throwing all the other inane nonsense that went on, like the songs are great. The songs are great. The records are great. And I'm like really proud of them. Yeah. Oh, I, I think they're amazing. I was I've been listening to it for the past couple of days in preparing for this and i'm just i'm kind of blown away by it I, I i really wish i had i guess paid more attention back when it was released it's i wish you had too mark <laughs> so i apologize i guess other people we accept your apology <laughs> pete i did read a quote that you said you said you basically did everything in your power not to succeed but you ended up writing this amazing album. But but music is a business. I mean, it really is. And it's about like having all your ducks in a row, even with this like reissue, like there's like little mistakes that have been made, but I, I, this, the stakes are so low now, like who really cares, but I don't, you know, but like, it, you know, we, Tim, Tim and I were like constantly in a, in a metaphysical struggle about like how the band should be managed. Like to me, it's like, First of all, Sean Fogarty and John Troutman, who joined the band like around the Lost and Revelry years, are like crack musicians. Like they know what they're doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know the difference between like an E minor and E seven. I don't know what that is. You know, like yeah. but I know how to play a bunch of stuff. But those guys are like virtuoso musicians and Paul is a really great bass player. So I was always kind of like, let's have good equipment, let's practice, you know, let's take it seriously. Let's not get drunk, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it was just kind of like, you know, there were parts where uh, of the band where that was the case that, it, you know, we played really good shows and we did a lot, but I mean, you have to, you know, I don't know. 
really commit to the business side to succeed yeah. and you have to play shows with people and not be dicks to them and or like <laughs> or do or you know or like just just be i don't know i don't know what the word is but overly friendly or you know and we're not just we were not like that we were just kind of like maybe we can take some a uh, six pack of their beer they won't get mad <laughs> you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah. if we were playing with somebody and we just you just didn't have that business and we were like there were times where we, we were playing shows i was like wow we're really good and then we would get to a point where we play it like south by southwest and then there'd be people coming to see us like from all these labels and managers and we would just like absolutely shit the bed in a way that was like like My so <laughs> so preposterous that it can't even really be explained in in any language that's known to man so like <laughs> you know so you know so that would so we would just it wasn't there's there was, the business part wasn't taken seriously enough i mean i think that everyone tim shannon and i and also all the people who played were very serious when it was about writing the songs and recording the songs and but that, and that was taken really seriously and like having like sort of some kind of theme that would run through the record and you know all that kind of stuff and uh that was taken but the stuff that really counts which is being on the road 200 days a year and not like falling over and smashing your head into the into your amp because you like drank 12 beers before the show like that's just not i mean we weren't like the new york dolls i mean we weren't like some you know thing that was like oh people are gonna are coming to see us like implode i mean only our friends would want to see that yeah. like, our, you know <laughs> You know, if you're like playing like in Oklahoma to like 37 people, you have 37 people who are going to tell 37 other people that you saw some great band. Instead, we were like, well, we only know nine songs, so we'll play them in 37 minutes and run off the stage in shame. <laughs> so, anyway, I don't, I don't know if that's too long of an answer, but it is. There's no, there's no such thing as too long of an answer because I got time to fill. <laughs> So, it, while you guys, I kind of want to focus on on this album because it's being re-released by Bar None, and you've got a really interesting story because they've added a few extra tracks to it, which I want to get to in a, in a minute. But I want to find out a little bit more about the recording of this because you were guys were you based in Athens, Georgia at the time, and then the band moved to New York. And so, how does the album fit into that? Was it recorded? After you got to New York, in the middle of the move, in both places, what's the timeline? My recollection, I could be wrong, Pete, is Pete's, that... Pete's got a good look on his face right now. He's like, oh, shit. <laughs> Don't forget. Pete and Tim, right, you guys moved in... I, I don't remember what month, in 98, and I was a number of months after you. I think we started recording it in Athens... But after you guys had moved to New York and I was still in Athens. And then some of the songs were also recorded with Jerry Key and Nevin Oaks. Is, it, is that, uh, that what happened? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I mean, I, I, so the only thing I can say for sure is that um, Where You'll Land, the last song on the record, and... Baby, I know what you're thinking. We're both recorded in one session in Athens at Chase Park, with uh, like that. That's where those were recorded. And and I mean I, and then um, the everything uh, we used to be that was recorded in Queens by Ian. Ian Steins recorded that. Who was like the drummer at the time. And then as far as like 
where Tim recorded like assisted living. And, and I, I don't even know where you, I, honestly, I don't know where you recorded a bigger city. Did you record that with that was, Greg? Uh, Greg? Yeah. 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 Oh, but assisted um, living was a place in New Jersey. Um, yeah. But everywhere. Yeah. So we recorded like all over the place. I have no idea. I mean, like the, <laughs> the memories are so fuzzy, but I think my recollection is that we moved to New York. I only know this and I'm, is because my dad had a heart attack or a heart situation in um, like November of 99. And I think I had just, Sherry, who was my girlfriend at the time, we had just moved in September of 99, I think, to New York. But I can't remember. Don't quote me. It might have been 98. I don't know. I think it was 98, Pete. All right. So it was 98. I've been saying in my head it was 99 forever. I mean, I don't know what year it is now. I don't think anyone knows what year it is. Yeah. Well, it's the worst year ever. Yeah. So, but the point is it was recorded all over the place. And, um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was a really strange time because Shannon and I lived in an apartment, in a, a building together. Oh my God. That was, I mean, your place was nice. My place was shit. I lived in like the <laughs> attic apartment with some people I really didn't know from Athens. And it was just like, not, it was just Oh God, that was miserable. That was yeah. miserable. Yeah. yeah. But, but if you go over that part of uh, Clinton Hill now, it's like fancy. But back then what it was like. What street is that, Pete? Myrtle. Myrtle Street. Myrtle in Clinton and Hill. what? Myrtle and uh, uh, what's the main road there? Uh, Willoughby. Willoughby. Am I making that? No, it's the. No. Uh, I can't remember, but oh, I, I'll remember it. But it's like right by the under, it's like the next block is the BQE, whatever that is. So, yeah. But yeah, so the record was recorded all over the place. I don't know how we even put it all together. It was like just a shit, like a total shit show. I mean, <laughs> you have no idea. I mean, like, I mean, our, I'm sure that there was like somebody gave us one of those light buzzers so we would forget all the details of how it all got together. But Yeah. <laughs> So is that, Shin, is that part of why you've called it a Frankenstein album? Because it, it seems to be stitched together from all different kinds of locations and Did recording sessions. Did I call it that? Yeah. There's a quote. Oh, you called yeah. it a Frankenstein album. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, mostly I was just referring to myself. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, some of it just being a blur, like... <laughs> where was all of it done but also my being confused throughout the whole uh, operation just not knowing what I was doing but yeah truly it was I don't know I mean I, I think it was probably a year of recording in different places maybe I'm wrong but yeah like uh, I never I certainly didn't have any idea of what the final product would be yeah did anybody have an idea of, of what the final product was there a goal in mind? Like I wanted it to sound like this or was it, you were just writing songs and at the end, Hey, we've got enough songs. Let's put an album out. I think that Tim kind of had more of a vision than, it, than I did. I mean, I was pretty much like, let's write a song. Let's write a bunch of songs. And Shannon was just learning how to play songs, you know, and Tim was Tim's material on that is like the weirdest of his material by far. Like it's like really, Kind of like, I mean, I love all those songs, but they're more like like that Sasha, whatever the heck it's yeah. called. Like, I mean, that's, Sasha yeah, that has like, far. yeah, Sasha right. Goes Too Far has got like three different parts. And you fell in with the lawyers and drinkers and pillars, the midwits and scores, the unwashed and unfit. You live from the lawyers and no, I wish to resemble. I just couldn't feel a consequential thing. 
then there's like he's got um, a lot of the kind of like Yola Tango stuff on on some yeah. of this stuff, and he never like he never like really did that again. It, like you know, he it was a weird. I mean, I love those songs, but they're like definitely not like what the Mendoza line ended up being, I think, in the end. I remember recording that song and like doing the harmonies. And then at the end, he's like, so Shan, just sing a like sing a harmony, but I don't want to hear what you're saying. (laughs) So, so you know, I have these, I mean, for me, a very meaningful lyrics. But and then I was like, do you want to know what I just sang? He's like, nope. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, the original issue begins and ends with some really weird uh, pieces by Robert Duckworth. Yeah. What did that? Can you explain what that was? Because they're just no. really odd. Well, Rob uh, was a friend of mine in Albany, Georgia, in high school, um, and he was just an odd duck, hence the name Duckworth. <laughs> and, uh, oh, just an amazing composer, musician, who I guess, I think it was a year ahead of me in high school, moved to um, moved to Japan and was composing there, and then was either visiting or moved to New York for a short period of time, and we sort of reconnected, and uh, I don't know. Do you remember anything else, Pete? I don't. I never heard that stuff until it was like I like got the album. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what it was, but I think it was like Tim's. I, I mean, it was like definitely like Tim's idea. Like, let's have some like extraneous noise on it. I mean, Tim has like. I think it's cool, but I don't. I don't really understand it. But like Tim has like a more of like a take whatever the piece are of it, synthesize it into a, like a big idea. And like I don't know, he wanted to have a noisy weird record, and I think in a lot of ways it is a noisy weird record minus a few of the songs. Oh yeah. And um, and who even knows like what the hell? The, I mean, it's I, 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 one story. A story about the record that I I just remember like so clearly was when I was going to record. Uh, baby, I know what you're thinking and where you'll land with Andy Baker at Chase Park. Like I remember Andy, I think I flew down to Atlanta. Andy picked me up at the airport and I was like writing the song in the car. Like he was like driving, he was like driving from Atlanta to Athens. I mean, this might be totally off, but, and I'm just like trying to like, because he played drums on it. We didn't have like a, like Andreas was kind of the on and off drummer at the time. And Andy, and I was like, it was just like me and Andy in the studio. And I'm like writing the last few lines of it. And he's like, I'm like, is this good? Is this good? He's like, yeah, that's good. And then he, Andy played the drums then the bass and like. Did and I just, sing there, Pete? Yeah. I, I don't think, I don't, I don't recall you showing up and singing, but you and Philip, your, uh, Shannon's twin brother, sing the harmonies on the end of the song.
was at Andy's, but I wasn't there. I think, yeah, I mean, that happened all the time, like throughout the history of the Mendoza line. I would like record what I thought was like a song, a finished song, and then, and then like, whatever the producer would be like, oh, I I had this person come in and play this part. I'm like, whatever. I mean, like, (laughs) I was just kind of like, okay, Bob Hoffner, like, but you know, uh, pedal steel like virtuoso would just like I like put down major guitar parts would come in and then or I would be done in the vocals and then Ray would be like I'm calling Bob in I'm like all right and then he was like here's the final mix and it was like all of Bob's parts I'd be like perfect next next one I mean like I don't know but yeah but as far as like and like uh, at the where you'll land which is the last song on that record is kind of like a, I don't know what it is. It's like kind of a country song, I guess. And there's like this sort of elephant six, um, like it's a dirge. Yeah. At, yeah. It's a dirge. It is. And like at the end, it's like this whole like trumpet thing. And Andy, Andy like brought somebody in the day we recorded and they played like one of the trumpet parts. And I was like, can you just make this better? And he's like, okay. And then like a few weeks later, he's like, I got these other guys to come in and do it. And I was like, Sounds good to me. Couple weeks later, I don't know how to play. The, I don't know how to play the fucking trumpet. Yeah, I mean, I, oh. <laughs> oh my gosh! We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. While I was researching this, I, I read a, something, and I want to find out if this is actually the truth and I, you guys may not even know because like I said this this whole album sounds like it was like a really weird disjointed effort I, I don't... yeah it is it's a nice way of putting it <laughs> <laughs> um, okay the song Idiot Heart Margaret Maurice recorded it presented it to you guys and then quit is that uh, actually what happened no. no okay good because that sounds so <laughs> shitty no no um Margaret was um, Tim's girlfriend, and she was moving to. She was going to art school in New York. Okay. And uh, I think uh, I don't think she ever joined or quit the band. <laughs> I mean, that's sort of the way I see it. And she had this beautiful song to contribute, and got on the record. I have no idea. I mean, to me, the song is like a mic drop. I mean, it's literally like, it's like pretty much like, I don't know the exact timeline at all, but like Tim and Margaret broke up. And like, I remember like they, when they broke up, she like Tim and Paul were living there and she pretty much like moved out. And she's like, you guys have a month to stay here and and I'm gone. And that was like what that song was to me. It was pretty much like, (laughs) fuck you. I mean, kind of. And that's what it was. I mean, but I don't think she like technically wrote it 
moved out like the next day or whatever. But it it's like, and uh, Margaret, I, I'm still in touch with her a little bit. She lives in Portland. Uh, uh, Pete, what was the name of the guy? Okay, we recorded that song. It was an app. Uh oh. Someone, someone Bishop. He always wore a hat. And he may have been from Albany. No, do you remember? There was this. Yeah, Chris. Chris Bishop. Yeah, I mean. But yeah, but I. From Albany as well, or am I making that up? I might be making that up. I mean, I did find like some really weird pictures of you and Chris and Bren and like doing a haircut. <laughs> oh well, I cut right. everybody's hair. You know, I don't. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> With all the weirdness that went along with recording this album, were you at all surprised by all the positive reviews it got? Nope. All right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I don't know. I mean, yes, yes, no, I wasn't surprised. I thought it was really good. I mean, I thought it was good back then. I knew there was like a few songs that were like, digestible um and you know they were they were good um no i mean i think we were kind of on a trajectory of like doing something better like for the whole the whole length of the Mendoz line so it was like we had gotten a lot of press or some press anyway for the other things i wasn't surprised that people liked it i mean it was better than all the other records a mile. I mean, this is like the third full length and there was like another EP that had like 10 songs on it. So I wasn't that surprised that people liked it. It's all right. Excuse me, guys. Give me one second when these pop. That's no so problem. Hey. No problem. Um, but, you know, yeah, no, I thought, it was, I thought it was pretty good at the time. And then I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I can tell you, honestly, I don't think I listened to it for like 10 years straight from beginning to end until recently. Wow. And, and it's, yeah, I think it's really, an, and I, I actually like, you know, I've been playing, um, playing it for the, my kids and stuff and they're into it. Oh, awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Now, is it just this album in particular or is it just, is it the discography that, that you were involved in? Um, no, I mean, I, I haven't really shared that much of the music with them over the, over time, but they're, they're, both of my kids are really interested in music. The older one is really into Phoebe Bridgers. So, of course, who isn't into Phoebe Bridgers? So, um, she, so she got to meet her last last year at oh, like wow. a soundtrack because our, you know, she's on her records are on Dead Ocean. So, our my one of my old best friends is Phil Waldorf, who runs that and used to run the record label that we were on. So, he like set it up for he set it up for uh, my daughter to go meet her and meet Phoebe. And it was like, amazing oh, and my awesome. and my younger daughter is really into iron maiden i've taken her to see iron maiden twice yes. and she's nine, she's nine so she's like, <laughs> <laughs> i haven't even seen iron maiden wow they're 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 really great to see live no one should ever miss that oh, i love <laughs> iron maiden too that's man <laughs> my daughters muriel and hazel are really into pet sounds so really- <laughs> like from the dogs. dogs or the <laughs> beach dogs, boys yeah they're, uh, well, no, the album by the Beach Boys and my daughters are canon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's fitting. Did you guys have, I guess, um, you said you were listening to a lot of Sonic Youth and Sweetheart of the Rodeo at the time you were recording. We're all in this alone. And I kind of get 
a definitely a, a like a, a replacement meets the birds feel with a lot of this. Did you were you going for a specific sound or was it just what you were listening to was influencing what you were playing? Hmm. I, I know it's I know it's like you know twenty years ago, but so yeah, twenty I mean, drunk years ago. I feel ago. like <laughs> I was probably the one contributing a lot more of Sweetheart of the Rodeo. And I, I mean, I was like obsessed with uh, Graham Parsons at the time, and and this yeah. being my first sort of song songwriting effort. I think that that was probably my doing for better or for worse. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I have like a whole group of friends from Brooklyn and like, we would always get together and like play, like include like Matthew cause from Nata surf and like a couple other guys when we were always like get together, there would always be, it'd be like, uh, you know, Beth will who's in this band bird of youth. That's really great. We would, we would always like sing Graham Parsons songs. It was like, oh. so it was like, I just love Graham Parsons. Oh yeah. Um, but and so, I think does so-, Paul, so does Paul, Paul, Definitely. Oh yeah, yeah. The bass player. Everybody loves Graham Parsons. Those are like super influential records yeah. for me personally, and everyone in the band. Um, and Sonic, I love Sonic Youth. I, I think that's like I listen to a lot of Sonic Youth, but I have to say I listen to probably more Super Chunk than any living human. <laughs> I love Super Chunk. Oh wow! And I listen to a lot of during those years, um, and still listen to Super Chunk, and I listen to all their records. But I think that probably like Super Chunk have like more of an influence on some of like i don't know at least the um the like discovered track that we have like waiting in the wings which is out as part of like their re-release sugar who's for do super chunky kind of feel and i was always like er, in the very 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 early recordings of the mendoza line like i think super chunk was like a huge influence along with the replacements for a lot of all you guys would play in the like i don't know when (laughs) i don't even remember why i was in a car with this was like not on tour but i just remember super chunk playing i love super chunk now but at the time you know and just to see tim sort of like headbanging and sort of salivating (laughs) you know how he would do and and i (laughs) <laughs> like, and I didn't know Super Chunk, and I'm sort of like, I don't really get where this passion's coming from. I now I get it, but at the time, I would just see him, you know, go into some sort of conniption, <laughs> and there was always saliva. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't, <laughs> you don't remember that? I think you would be driving. <laughs> I think Pete's video was frozen. There we go. He would be driving, and then Tim would be in the front seat, just like, it wasn't head banging, but it was thrashing. And it was always wet. It was always, that's what it Sounds like a seizure. To you. Yeah. No, it was. It was. We called called the medics numerous times. (laughs) So you brought up the, one of the extra tracks that's, 
on the new release of We're All On This Alone. Where did you find these yeah. extra tracks? I mean, literally, I have I have like a box. I had a storage unit um, with like just a bunch of crap in it. And I had in it one of these boxes was like, you know, a clear plastic box that just had just hundreds of Mendoza line like reviews, contracts. Um, I don't know everything, all of this Mendoza line stuff. I mean, like yearbooks I had from high school with the most offensive stuff you've ever seen in the English language written by human. I mean, that like would literally have like, people would be like sent to the moon if you read some of the horrible things people wrote to me in yearbooks. Oh yeah. All that kind of stuff. And underneath that, I found like a bunch of tapes and like one of them, like cassette tapes. And one of them was like a show from night from 2000 where we played at Shuba's in Chicago, which oh Shannon, I'll send to It is an absolute train wreck of complete disaster. Oh, I remember that yeah. show being really good though. It's called like four track recordings. Which it is not good. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Now I want to hear it. I'll send it to you. It's terrible. Oh, and then, yes. I, and then I have, uh, there was like one tape that was like, that's in four track recordings. And on that, I have like a lot of Shannon's like early four track recordings, like, you know, that are like kind of they're I want to release them eventually, like in some way, cause they're like haunting. They're like amazing. I love them. Oh, wow. And then, um, and then on one of them, it's just like rough mixes and it has like a couple songs that made records. And then it's the three tracks that are the, the, um, the, uh, bonus tracks for We're All In This Alone. It's uh, one is Shannon's song called Race, Race Myself Home, right? Yeah. And, then, and, then, and then the other one is uh, This Time Next Spring, which is like a piano ballad that uh, Tim and Shannon do. I don't know where, what, if it was on a, it was never released in any way or shape or form. I don't know. I've never heard it. And then this song called Waiting in the Wings, which is like a, you know, sugar, who's do kind of like rave up which I didn't, I didn't remember. I didn't like remember. I, I kind of like remembered it a little bit, but like, I didn't know where we recorded it, whatever. And so I sent it to our drummer, Andreas. It's like, Oh yes, I remember this clearly. We recorded this, you know, wow. in 1998 or 1999 at chase park. It was part of this session of songs. It was like, kind of like in the, in the space between recording um, I, I Like You When You're Not Around, which is the record right before this, and We're All In This Alone, we would just kind of like periodically like go in, record some songs, you know, and what it was for, who knew. And then, but that song, We're Wait, Waiting the Wings, has no, it's not like, I don't know, it's like, a sounds like a, you know, it's a much more straightforward kind of song. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so, so it's just like, I don't, I don't know what we were thinking at the time, why it wasn't on the record, but it, it's clearly like, it would be hard to put it into the, into the lineup. So anyway, like I got the tape, I sent it, I sent it to Ray Ketchum. He like remastered the cassette versions. And then I was like Skyping with the guy who recorded them, Andy, but Andy Baker, who lives in, in Taiwan. And he has like a, a studio. He's like, I, I was like, I should just ask him if he has these tapes for any reason. And he's like, I don't have them. You know, I, they must've been thrown out, but I'm still close with Dave, Dave Barbie, who is uh, the other engineer owner of that studio. And we keep in touch because we both play Stratomatic baseball, which is like, it's like dungeons and dugouts. It's like, <laughs> you know, you play totally nerdy thing. And I had like an article written about me playing 
Stratomatic Baseball in quarantine because I play with my one friend and we do it over um, Skype basically or FaceTime. So I said, yeah, my, 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 my one friend. So I sent it, I sent it to Dave, I sent it to Dave Barbie and I was like, check out this article of me in the New York Post. And by the way, do you happen to have these old Mendoza line tapes? And like, and like 10 minutes later, he's like, he's like, oh, you mean these tapes? He's like, I've held them all under them for 20 years. So he had like the original quarter inch tape, wow. two inch tape. Because we are periodically in touch. So, I mean, I'm just surprised he kept them. I'm surprised he didn't like say, hey, do you want these tapes? Wow. <laughs> you know? It's like, so he like digitized them and sent them to me and then Ray Ketchum like remastered it a little bit. And, but it's only waiting in the wings, waiting in the wings is the only one that has like the original tape. So waiting so. in the wings was literally waiting in the wings for 20 years. Yes. Really? It was crazy. It was, it was really crazy. It wasn't like it was hard to find, but I, I was no reason to like ever ask for anybody why they would keep Mendoza line tapes from 20 years ago. But you know, <laughs> except for like, you know, utter and complete self-hatred and having a large attic. <laughs> Which, which is seems to be like a, a theme with this album. <laughs> yeah. Real. Real. Well, I really enjoyed listening to it. I, I my my wife loves it. We played it for her. It's everything about this. It's still it's like I like I mentioned before, it, it's a little all over the place, but in a in like a charming kind of way. It, it's Yeah. That's I, fair. I love it, and it. But that's see, that's the kind of stuff I get drawn to is stuff where I don't know what in the hell's coming next. So it, that's the kind of yeah. that's that's one reason that it's it drew me to it. Plus, you know, the beautiful vocals, uh, Shannon. You've got some uh, absolutely gorgeous performances on here. Thank you, Pete. One of my favorite songs on the album is "Baby, I Know What You're Thinking" too. So that's Thanks. that is so catchy, and it's uh, pretty catchy, not bad. Not bad. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that the I think we're all in this alone. Like, if would you go back and listen to it? It is like kind of like, in a way, like a band trying to find out what the hell they are. You know what I mean? That's like exactly we didn't so. know. Yeah, we didn't know. We kind of have a lot. We listen to a lot of music. We're fans of a lot of music, and you know when you're not like somebody who can like read tabs <laughs> or something yeah. like you're just kind of like, kind of just like the, all that stuff sort of just goes into the DNA of your music one way or another. It's like, I'm not, I've never, I've never once in my life, like gone to like, I'm not, I don't want to know how to play a Slayer song, even though I love Slayer. <laughs> it's just too hard for me, you know? Yeah. So it's like, but so this, a lot of these, uh, the songs are in that there's no, there's not that much intention to it. It's just kind of like, okay, this is what happened, you know? Well, when I compared the, the songs from We're All In This Alone to the albums that came after it, this one sounds a little more fearless or reckless, maybe. I don't know. It's it's. Oh, for sure. I mean, I re listening back, it's I think I sang on every single song, if I'm not mistaken. And I remember it just being so much fun because I was like. I'm going to say tit, 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 and as many songs as I can. can do that. And like just having so much fun, like singing backing vocals and harmonies. And I, I can't, I remember that being a real delight and listening back. It just, I mean, kind of brought me to tears because I, I think uh, you, I don't know, we, we lost that a little or they, I mean it's because I was so new with everything that that was so exciting to me and so exhilarating so I totally like I, there was 
there was, I just got my rocks off doing that. And then I think by the next record, it was a little more, I don't want to say refined, maybe subdued, but I remember the excitement I felt sort of playing around vocally so much. That was a, a real highlight. I mean, the stakes were really low. I mean, we were just like, whatever felt good to us at the time is what it, what it was, you know? And there wasn't, I think there was a lot more thought into the whole process on the other records. And I think in some ways that was a negative thing. I think Lost and Reverie kind of like is, is a really great record, but it's definitely a lot more polished. Yeah. Um, it was, it was definitely still very shambolic during the we're all in this alone i mean i don't think the during when we played the the uh, tour for we're all in this alone or any of the shows around it i mean no one was like wow this is a real, really great live act but by the time like we got to lost in reverie there was you know by the time the lost in reverie came around like you know probably like two out of three shows were you know not an embarrassment that would wake you up in the middle of the night, like sweating through your clothes. Like, you know, <laughs> I'd agree with that. Yeah. So it was, the stakes were low that, you know, and we were still trying to figure it out. You know, has it been hard to listen to the album recently? Was there any trepidation in going back to listen to it? Cause I know you both at the beginning of the show, you said you hadn't really listened to it in years. Shannon, you take it. (laughs) Yeah, no, I was horrified. I mean, it hasn't been 20 years or, you know, even 10 years since I've listened to it, but maybe like six or seven years since uh, I gave it a good listen. And then, I don't know, I've just been like, I feel like my jaw has been clenched (laughs) when talking about this (laughs) re-release. I'm like, oh yeah, no, this is good. This needs to come back out. And then I was just thinking, there's so much that I feel uh, regretful about with the band in a way. And there's so many feelings tied up. And of course, um, with my failed marriage with Tim and all of these things, but I thought, oh, this is going to be really, really painful. And then on the release day, when I listened to it, I felt really happy listening to it. And then I felt really happy reconnecting with Pete. So it's, uh, I'm surprised by how positive, no, seriously, how positive I feel about it. It's going to be really dreadful. Yeah, <laughs> it's not. It's not bad. It's not bad. Right. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. I mean, I think I I don't know. So like a few years ago, maybe two or three years ago, I I like moved into a new apartment and I was like, I need some like you know, I I need to put like a Mendoza line poster up here. Let me see if any exist. <laughs> and I like Googled it and like this. Mendoza line poster came up, which is like a, it's like a Mario Mendoza, like baseball card. Uh, and like some guy made it for some random show that we were playing. Was it you? Know. Was it you? No, no, no. no. It was like, when I found this poster like two or three years ago or whatever, I was like, wow, this is, re-. I started sort of getting back into like, just going back and listening to some of this, the band stuff and, and letting my negative feelings about it like go away more like the last couple of years and also like my really close friend who i play stratomatic baseball with is like whenever you talk about the about the band you sound like such an asshole 
<laughs> you know, he's like, you just sound like a crabby old man, which I am, but I shouldn't have to be that way about the band because he's, you, you know. you were that way when we were in the band. I know, and that was a, fa- that was a failure, a failure of, uh, it was a failure. I don't know, of, like, I think person. it was a strength. I don't know. I think, I wish I wasn't that way for when the band was around. I wish I wasn't that way for the last 10 years and been working really hard on, you know, I, I was the one who, you know, edited the video and built the website and have been managing most of the Instagram stuff and I'm having like a good time doing it, you know? Oh, that's awesome. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. Yeah. It is awesome, Pete. Thank you. <laughs> Thank so, you. <laughs> now you guys, you guys have moved on from the band. The band doesn't exist basically anymore, really, outside of these releases. What are you guys doing right now? What What are you actually? You're in production, right? Yeah, I've actually worked for the same production company since I moved to New York. Like I, I, I yeah, okay. I've it's it's a it's like uh, we do television productions for like PR firms and brands and stuff. I mean, it's not like super scintillating stuff, but <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, it is fun because I actually I get to work with like a lot of uh, celebrities like Jordan. I've worked a lot with, um, wow. I don't know, like Kelly Ripa and I don't know who whoever name them. And I probably worked with them at one point or another, um, you know. I got to work with Jim Palmer and I'm a big Orioles fan oh, I've been a couple times and you know, um, and just like a ton of people like, you know, and for the most part, everybody's really nice. I got to do a job with Mr. T once, which was like the greatest thing that's ever happened oh, to me. Oh man. I am jealous now. Yeah. I so, you recently Pete and your bio is really impressive. Really? I think yeah. that's <laughs> really the other Peter Hoffman. <laughs> on Gorovitz communication. Uh, I, yeah. Yeah. Am I allowed to say? Sure, you can say whatever you want. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But, I mean, I don't know. I work. I have two kids. You know, I'm currently in Cape Cod at my aunt's house, uh, going fishing every day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sounds really tough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Shannon, what have you been up to since the band yeah, kind of... I don't know. Um, I have been teaching, um, high school English. I teach for a public school in Brooklyn. I teach, uh, 12th graders, um, which of course has been a very trying year. Like we have our, our graduation on Friday and, uh, it's just, it's heartbreaking, you know, to see all that they're not able to celebrate together. Um, so I've been, yeah, I've been teaching high school, high school for the last, uh, 13 years and I've been putting out solo records. Excellent. Yeah. I, I know it, I've got three kids in high school, so I, I, I know the, oh. the pain. So, Oh yeah. That's crazy. 15, 16 and 17 year old. So I, oh. freshman, sophomore and junior. Mark, what all... were you guys? Thinking. You weren't thinking. You weren't thinking. Well, see, the good thing is... I don't know what you were thinking. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'm going to have to put a clip into that. Put a little drop right right underneath that. But see, the good thing is we get through everything all at once. It's all done. And once it's done, it's done. But You've got Irish triplets. uh, Well, yeah, we're a very Irish family. So, what are the plans going forward with Mendoza Line? Are, are you going to be working on any of the other albums, re-releasing any of the other albums? Is there more unreleased material to be had? 
to be shared? Um, yes. I mean, I think we're, we're going to see how this one goes and they'll either be like, you know, we'll slowly put out re-releases of everything over the next couple of years or if it doesn't go well, <laughs> we don't. <laughs> one we'll and done. Everything out of, yeah, we'll just put everything out in one way or another. Um, but, you know, there has been talk and we were actually going to record a couple new songs last year before all of this nonsense started happening. Oh, wow. And I think that and I think that's still in the cards. I mean, I know that John Troutman and uh, Sean Fogarty who are like, you know, kind of the uh, classic lineup Mendoza line yeah. members like they really want to record. And I, you know, I wow. haven't written any songs in years and I've started writing songs again. So and that's, you know, I have. I don't know. Pete, I love the song you shared with me that you were thinking of recording, and I came up with some pretty fancy harmonies. So I hope we get I mean, there. I, I, we, I think we should record it. I mean, like, there's no reason. But I will only release it if Trump loses. <laughs> well, that goes without saying. But yeah, I mean, I think that we'll, I think we'll definitely record some songs. I don't think it's like a new album, but maybe like with the next re reissues, they'll, you know, we'll have, oh, and they recorded a couple songs to go along with the reissue or whatever and see where it goes. That's fantastic. That's really good news. Where can people find out about the new album? How can they pick it up uh, and order it since you can't really go anywhere right now? You can get it on, you know, your Spotify, your iTunes. You can get it on what MendozaLine.com, right, Pete? Yeah, you yeah, but, yeah. So, right. but if you want to order, the, we're actually going to put out vinyl for this record. Oh, it's nice. still, so it's still in the early stages. Like a lot of the, uh, you know, vinyl pressing plants are backed up because you know they're not, you know, fully staffed. I don't think. But right. also, we didn't really make the decision to do this until people kept asking us. I mean, we've already sold you know, quite a few of them and to pre-order and you can pre-order it on Bandcamp exclusively right now. So if you go to our, the Mendoza line Bandcamp page, you can order your vinyl copy and it, you know, I ordered 17 of them. <laughs> <laughs> We're rich. No, um, if, if you, uh, yeah, but I highly encourage everyone to go on to Bandcamp and order it. You know, it's easily easy to find us on, on Bandcamp. And also we have, um, I found like a trove of our, the original We're All in This Alone poster, which is hideous, but awesome. Oh, cool. And, uh, That's so the one with Margaret Sketch, right? Yeah, Margaret Sketch. It's a yeah. really kind of weird pick, uh, poster, but I think it's really... Yeah, it's haunting. It's really cool. I found 40 or 50 of those. And we're basically, we haven't done much advertising about this, but we are going to sell those. And we're going to all the uh, to that, to the bail project, because we figure we have to give something back um, okay. in this, these times. So I think, you know, we hopefully we can raise like $1,000 to send to the, the bail project. We've already sold maybe like 10 of the 40. But we, again, we haven't really done much advertising about it. Right. Um, but it's all on our website. You know, it's easy to find. You just go to our website and there's a whole form you fill out and you, you know, send PayPal and, and we'll get it to you in a couple of weeks. But it's a and, quick form. I don't want anyone to feel like they're going to, you know, have to spend a lot of time. It's, just, it's a quick form. <laughs> I think when we posted about it, somebody bought one within like a minute. <laughs> so hey, there you go. So, yeah. So we'll, we'll be posting, we'll be posting more about that, but 
um, at this point, you know, our focus is trying to sell enough pre-order vinyl so we don't have to lay out too much money <laughs> or Barnard doesn't have to for the vinyl. Well, I really need to order more. So someone we'll... else needs to do their <laughs> job. Mark, have you ordered one? I just found out about it. I have. Or... I just have the digital. All right, well. So you'll get on that. Yes, I'll get on that. I, yes, yes, ma'am. I know, I know where you live, so it's very... <laughs> Do you know where he lives? I mean, it's in Winchester. It's not that big, so I mean, I'm sure we could, I could go to my brother's and drive around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I live across from the country club on Sensony. He'll know exactly where that is. Do you, yeah, you know that, Pete? Uh, I mean, my brother, no, I don't know anything. <laughs> I don't know where I am. So, okay. Uh, I'll ask him because he lives in uh, Winchester. On It's like Stony Mead Drive, I, somewhere over there. Okay. Do you know where that is? It sounds well, familiar. Just order the fucking vinyl. <laughs> yeah, I'll know your address. That's, you. Oh, yeah, but yeah, well, see, he just said now he's going to have my address. No, I know. I'm sorry for that. But see, okay. So see, if I order it and he gets me, he gets my address. I don't still won't have anything to worry about. Uh, yeah. Except maybe a a a, a drop in for a <laughs> for a couple fingers of whiskey or something. I don't know. I mean, next time in next time in, I'm in Winchester in 2025, we should definitely have a drink. <laughs> we that. should. We should. We might. We, the the town may have opened up by then. Yeah. <laughs> so where can people find uh, is, is there a social media presence for the band or is everything just going through the band camp and the record label thanks to Pete there's a substantial social presence or whatever. tell them about it Pete yes tell us about it Pete um, so it's uh, yeah it's all Mendoza it's at Mendoza Line Band on Instagram Twitter and Facebook so we have different things going on on each one of those things at various times. We're actually month long kind of campaigns that we're going to do that are, uh, you know, it'll probably not be month long. It'll probably be several month long, but we're going to do like a kind of write up of every song on we're all in this alone that we feel like writing and put it in our Instagram stories oh, and cool. tell some like little tales about each one of them. All will be fabricated and written in French. Yeah. <laughs> 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 But we'll, we're going to do something like that. And I, we have something insanely, insane, insane plan for the Instagram. Uh, but it might not be for a couple of weeks. But all I can tell you is that it has something to do with Paul for our many mustaches. And <laughs> had uh, he is uh, he had he made like the mustache famous in indie rock during the nineties uh, and two thousands. And we have a lot of and pictures. Penny of loafers. Yes. So we're, and we're putting together a uh, whole thing uh, to pick their favorite Paul Deppler mustache. So that'll be coming up soon. Nice. Um, so just, Pete, have you run this by Paul? Because I think you should run it by Paul first. Uh, I will not run this by Paul. <laughs> <laughs> So Paul will not know of it, uh, but yeah. So but it is going to happen. It might not be for a couple of weeks, and there will be many, many mustaches on our Instagram feed. And oh. the, the other thing that's great about our Instagram feed, you can see the pictures of the of the band with the worst jeans in history because we had terrible jeans. Just no, they just the, jeans. the worst jeans. And so they was before skinny jeans, so they were the boot cut. But there's worse I mean, things that you can have the worst of. 
I mean, the jeans were so bad. I mean, like, I, I mean, I every, every time that we post something, it's just out in this picture. And then he's just like, I'm sad because of our jeans. And it's just like this running thing on Instagram. <laughs> and then like, and then like our friends will be like, why, what, uh, you know, this is a great picture other than the jeans. I mean, it's like, cause the jeans, it's like, what are we hiding in there? Like, like a baguette. I mean, there's like a little baguette in each leg of the pants. Except, They're like, except for Tim who didn't own a pair of jeans. Like, what did you wear? In like 1994 to, I don't know, like 2004. Um, so he was always wearing some sort of weird old Lax. <laughs> everyone, everyone else is wearing jeans. And Jim is wearing, no, not, I take that back, corduroys, remember? Like, even uh, in corduroys. summer, corduroys. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Summer corduroys. That's a hashtag. <laughs> we, were not, we were not fashion staples, so we were not, like, we were not, not making a fashion staple. <laughs> Shannon looked good. We all looked like a bunch of like guys she like found behind a bar somewhere. <laughs> no, I well, from all the so stories I heard, that sound might be accurate. Yeah, I'm it is. Surprised it was. looking back at the photos, I was like, oh, I was like fat during some of the Mendoza line years, and I don't remember, but it look, I'm like, oh yeah, no, that 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 was real. You take down some photos. I was like, nope, you can't put that one up there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, this has been so much fun. I really do appreciate you guys spending the time and, and telling me. Well, no, let's keep going. Let's keep going. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Pizza, I'm out of here. Forget it. Now I got shit to do. But thank you guys so much. This has been a blast. I really do appreciate you spending time. I've kept you well over an hour. So thank you very much for, for indulging me in, in for the for the re-release of it because I'm really into it. I, I really like really really enjoying it thank you thanks for having us oh my pleasure my pleasure When do I when do I when do I say Baba Booey? That's all yeah. I want to know. <laughs> okay. All right. You, okay. All right. Okay. All right. Here you go. All right. Hello. This is Shannon McArdle. And this is Pete Hoffman from the Mendoza Line. And, and you're watching. Is, oh, you're watching. You're listening to. We're good. Yeah. Oh, no, you're listening over. to. And you're listening to. We'll start there, Pete. Okay, oh great! Cool. Okay, but we'll do. And you're listening to performance anxiety. Do we say with Mark Shea? Oh yeah. All right. So I'll I'll count to three, Pete, and we'll say. And you're listening to performance anxiety with Mark Shea. Got it? All right. Okay. One, two, three. And you're listening to performance anxiety. Oh wait, you want to? <laughs> What's happening?
I thought you were gonna start from the. I thought you were gonna start from the beginning. Like, oh, you want to start from the beginning? Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.